pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us as we mix together science, the Bible, and health principles. I pray that you would guide us into victory. And not only that, I pray that you would help us to be a blessing to others, that maybe probably many of these things will not be directly about maybe our personal circumstances, but there are people out there that you could use us to help out and to overcome, but surely all of us have areas in our lives that we can overcome through your strength. And we pray for victory through Jesus, that we would walk with him. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. <coughs> Talking about identity theft, as the theme is identity in the entire seminar here, and, you know, identity is something that we really don't think about a lot of times because it is who you are. I mean, what you think of yourself is partially your identity, the way you see yourself, and it's just... We are who we are, and so many times we don't think about it and actually step back. But as was talked about this morning, there really, in a way, are two identities. There's our, the natural man the Bible talks about, the man who's not been born again, the man who's not been rejuvenated through Jesus or uh, had this transformation that the Bible talks about. And then there's what God has called us to be and he's created us to be, and that, that's our goal. And so in order to become what we've been called to be, we also do need some recognition as where we have been in our identity in the past. And God wants to bring us to this recreated state uh, here on earth, but then ultimately for eternity. And in this seminar, the main thrust, the main statement, or the thesis statement of this seminar is this. You've probably heard this before. Never forget that thoughts work out actions, repeated actions form habits, and habits form what? Character. Character. And so people don't think about it, but we try to ge generally change different parts of who we are, but the reality is is this right here needs to be changed, the thoughts. So we're never, never to forget that thoughts work on actions, repeated actions form habits, and habits form character. And one of the interesting things, I, I'm always interested in the brain. And so, uh, so I just looked at, well, what do scientists think about identity? What do they think about identity? How does, where is that in the brain? I mean, where do you actually recognize your identity? And wouldn't you know, it's a place that Adventists most often talk about, which is what part of the brain? The frontal lobe, right? And so just yesterday, I was reading an article about, uh, you know, they were talking about studies, and they were talking about where identity is. Where does identity reside in the brain? And the scientists simply told in the frontal lobe of the brain. Now, obviously, it's not as simplistic as that. The brain is working, you know, in depth all over. It's not as if other portions of the brain are just shutting down when you're thinking about self and so forth. But the reality is that kind of the central aspect of the identity of humanity takes place in the frontal lobe. And this is also true of our character in general. And scientific studies have shown us that the frontal lobe is the seat of spirituality, morality, and the will. Spirituality, morality, and the will. Now, what's interesting um, is when we think about the brain, the brain that we've been given, uh, one of the reasons we know why the frontal lobe is this seat of spirituality, morality, and the world goes all the way back to the old story of Phineas Gage. How many of you have heard of Phineas Gage? Okay, probably half of us or so. Now, uh, <laughs> Phineas lived in the 1800s, mid-1800s. He was a foreman of a railroad crew. 
And so in order to be put in a position like a foreman, you need to have foresight, you need to be, have diligence, you need to be, have an organizational skill. And Phineas seemed to have these things. But what happened was, they were working in, in the state of Vermont, laying down track. Like here in California, you have obviously mountainous areas, and so it's not easy to just lay down a track. So they had to literally blow up with things like dynamite or explosive powder, something like gunpowder. They would have to drill down into the rock, then they would put some explosive powder in there, they'd put sand on top of it, and they'd take a, a, a rod called a tamping iron, like a ramrod, and they would ram it down to pack it in. They would have this ignition uh, fuse, and it would be lit, and pff, they'd blow off part of a mountain. Well, one day Phineas was doing this, and as he was doing it, he was tamping down. Maybe they forgot to put the sand on. We're not exactly sure what happened, but it ignited. It exploded and blew a rod it shot up like a missile under Phineas's cheek and it literally blew out the top of his skull, shot through his head, and he lost part of his brain as a result. Now this is the mid 1800s, so you would have imagined then he would have died rapidly, right? But the thing is somehow within minutes, Phineas was able actually to get up and he was able, he would, anybody who came by, he would tell them, it's crazy, I just had a rod blow through my skull. He would literally tell people, uh, just right, how did he make it? And somehow, someway, he didn't die of, uh, of getting an infection. You know, back in the 1800s, I mean, what would you do? Mm -hmm. But he ended up living through the whole circumstance. And, but what changed about Phineas was not so much his intelligence, but his character. So here's the, if you can imagine a man laying down, facing upward. This is the top part. This would be right here. This would be the frontal lobe here, this gray area. And uh, what happened was the rod blew through his skull and he lost, he had an accidental lobotomy. Literally lost part of his brain. It went shooting out with this rod. Well, what happened to Phineas? Now, before the accident, um, he was a foreman of a railroad crew, faithful husband and father. He was well-liked by his fellow workers. He was a religious man in regular church attendance until he lost part of his brain there in 1848. Well, what happened after the accident is that Phineas would become very emotional and angry about things. Now, you might think, well, maybe you'd get angry and emotional if a rod blew through <laughs> your skull, right? But it's more than that. He actually changed. He lost interest in church and spirituality. He became irreverent and prone to excessive profanity. He lost all respect for social customs, became very irresponsible, went from a prized employee to the unemployment roles, he ended up forsaking his wife and family and joined a traveling circus. Do you see that this man changed after the accident, yes or no? Yeah. What changed about him was his character. And this study was the beginning probably, but many other subsequent studies have revealed to us that uh, these scientific studies, as we've said, show that uh, the frontal lobe is a seat of spirituality, morality and the will and what we're going to discover is this brain we are told now science shows this and actually as in christianity there is only a small group of people who believe that the brain is fully where the mind is did you know that most christians actually think that the mind is some kind of spiritual entity separate from the body but those who actually keenly study the Bible realize that the human body, we are what we are. God made us, not some separate ghost-like being, but rather this brain 
is the only thing we have to communicate with God. The nerves of the brain are the only thing we have on planet Earth to communicate with God. That's how we connect with God. And the frontal lobe is the seat of spirituality, morality, and the will. So if you're impairing this frontal lobe, you're impairing your decision-making center, your spiritual center. Largely what we see is that people today are shutting down their frontal lobes, and as a result, they're not interested in spirituality. So we want to learn to strengthen our frontal lobes so that we can be victorious in our spiritual life and even, even in our decision-making. Now, we're going to share with you also later on in this seminar, I'm going to give you just a preview of that, something called the gut-brain connection. This is cutting-edge science. Very few people have heard about this. This is a new, a new science that has come out. It's actually something that we were told about 100 years ago. We were told 100 years ago about the connection between the gut and that what goes into the gut affects ultimately the mind. Isn't that interesting? And what's very fascinating is now modern science, when it, was, when it was said 100 years ago, you read some of these writings that we've been given, and they sound kind of archaic, like, hmm, is that really true? And now, if you believe in these messages we've given, you just believe it based on faith. But now modern science is backing up this information that we have been given. And science, some of the scientists are saying it is possible that this connection between the gut and the brain is actually the source of most of, of the psychological issues. And we were told 100 years ago that the majority of the problems in our church come from this. Isn't that interesting? And now modern science is beginning to back up what we were given. And through this, you can potentially overcome depression, in a large degree overcome temptation and your addictions and your lusts through actually this. This is very, very fascinating. Very few people have, have looked into this. And this is something we've been studying out for some time. And so uh, we're going to be talking later on in this seminar about the gut-brain connection. Now, we're going to talk about how it can make you either happy or depressed, depending on what's going into this thing right here. Also, we're going to talk about how you can lose it, use it to lose weight, this connection between the gut and the brain, uh, and get to a healthy weight. And also how you can lower depression levels in two weeks by learning how to take care of this gut-brain connection. And some of you can actually do, you can even actually make a difference within about a 24 to 48 hour. You can make some benefit within even that short amount of time through the gut-brain connection. And also it can either help or hinder your social skills. By what is taking place right here affects what takes place up here. They're even coming out with a scientific journal on the gut-brain connection. Uh, it may even be out now, but it's coming out if it hasn't already. Now, uh, speaking of identity, this is a quotation we read uh, from missionary worker, March 25, 1912. So this is a message we were given over 100 years ago. And notice what it says, the first duty of every student. Well, at least as long as you're in this room, you're a student, right? <laughs> so the first duty of every student, no one is to measure out what he supposes his fellow student is capable of doing. So nobody can tell us what we are capable of, but each has an individuality that no one can handle as successfully as himself. No one can submerge his identity in another. So we are not, uh, we're even told that a wife is not to submerge her identity in that of her husband. She is still to have her personal identity, right? And so we are each individual people. 
And even as Christians, yes, our identity is to be in Christ very clearly, but we can all in different ways represent in very special ways the identity of Christ. Does that make sense? Meaning you may represent it in a little bit different way than I do, but not in a contradictory way per se. You just reveal a certain aspect of his character in a greater, character in a greater way than I could. And that's a blessing. We reveal the glory of God. But notice what it says. It says, uh, no, no one can submerge his identity in another. He must know himself and give an answer, give himself a favorable chance to come forth with an unbroken constitution, with a clear mind, with well-balanced nerves, and a good what? Isn't that weird? What would that have to do anything with your identity, right? Like, listen, you have an identity. It is very special. Make sure you have a good digestion. Doesn't that sound kind of funny? Like, come on. Like, that's, that's got to be 19th century, archaic. We know that, you know, we pressed on in science further than that. Wrong. Now science is catching up with these strange, weird statements we were told 100 years ago. Isn't that interesting? And so we're going to talk about that later on in the message, in the messages, not, not today, but uh, tomorrow. It says, so we are to have an unbroken constitution, meaning God wants us to have healthy bodies, a clear mind, well-balanced nerves, and a good digestion. With these things, he will be well-fitted to do the work he has qualified himself to do. So if you want to be successful in whatever you do, part of what you need is good digestion. Now, that just sounds strange, but we're going to see that science is even bearing that out today. It says, if he disqualifies himself by imprudence in eating hurriedly, because he has little time to spend, he is unfitting himself for ever doing sound, wholesome work. Now, these are the kind of things you think, that's just strange. I mean, what are you talking about? But we're going to find out, what does this have to do? Not just eating hurriedly, but there are even things that we can eat that can either help or hinder our spiritual advancement. And science is even beginning to show us this, because in the food that we eat, there are actually things that affect our brain. So we're going to talk about that, but that's not the main thrust of the entire seminar. But we're talking about, could it be that health principles lived out could aid us in being the people we were called to be? Now we're talking about in this seminar things to overcome, to find victory over. Well, some of the things to overcome are chronic stress. We'll talk about that more as we press on. Uh, Anger or lack of forgiveness or judgmental thoughts. Now, the Bible says, be ye angry and sin not. So, we, you know, if we are angry, we, we want to make sure by the grace of God that he gives us victory that we don't sin in our anger, that we can use it in a way that could be maybe uplifting. Uh, number three, we want to learn to overcome eating disorders or habitually eating unhealthy food. Or number four, addictions to smoking, drinking, drugs, pornography, and lust. Uh, watching junk on television. I mean, there's some things that are okay, obviously. But watching junk on there gambling or fill in the blank. Just yesterday we went to a gas station and the only way to get to the bathroom in the gas station in Nevada was to go through a casino. <laughs> and I don't know that I've ever been in a casino quite like that. You know, just just it's so exciting. You know, lights flashing everywhere and the people just sitting on these machines and it's kind of like video games for adults and they're, you know, just hooked on this because there's also money spitting out at them if they put it in long enough. And obviously it's going to be less than they put in, but <laughs> it feels good when you put in $100 and $20 spits out after a while. You feel like you're enriched, right? Uh, but we want to learn to overcome these things that are hindering us. And Revelation chapter 21, verse 6 and 7 says, And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. 
he that, what's that next word? Overcomes. Overcomes. Shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Now this is not salvation by works. This is, the overcoming is evidence that our lives are hid with Christ in God. Because you can't overcome just by toughing it out. Just by being a better person. You can't do it just by your own grit, right? But God has given us a message of spirituality, which is the most important message, that we are changed right here in our minds. But as we're going to see, that also this gut issue can actually help us to overcome in areas that maybe we have not been able to overcome for years. Maybe in areas of depression. Maybe in areas of anger. Maybe in areas of social awkwardness. Maybe in areas of lust. That even this connection he's given, it's not salvation by gut either. It's just learning to live out the life God has called us to live can actually help us be victorious in Jesus. And it says, he that, in shall over, he that overcomes shall inherit all things. God will make us victorious. And as we said, we've seen, never forget, the thoughts work out, actions repeated, actions form habits, and habits form character. This is biblical in its foundation, this statement here. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, which was mentioned this morning, that says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you're going to be changed, the change needs to take place here. But number 2, Isaiah 26, verse 3 says, you will keep them in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon you, because he trusts in you, the text says. So we can find victory in our minds. Now, there's a few essentials to become overcomers, and the first one is to have a desire to overcome. We have to have a desire. When I first started smoking, I didn't want to quit. My dad gave me my first cigar, and very rapidly I became addicted to tobacco. And I remember sitting on a park bench, smoking with my friend, and, and somebody walked by and said, hey, kid, quit what you can. And I literally thought, I will never get addicted. Was I right? No. no. Months, years later, I can't stop smoking. I try quitting, I try, and I can't, right? And, but it wasn't until I began to have a desire that it, it was even really possible to overcome, right? Because when I was just enjoying my sin, I, I didn't even want to overcome. And so, now, here's the thing. You may have a sin in your life that you don't even want to overcome. Is that possible? Mm -hmm. Maybe you have an anger problem and you say, it's not my problem. It's the problem that everybody else makes me angry, right? <laughs> like, you can actually have a problem where you blame your issue on other people. It's because my wife does this. It's because my children do this. If they just didn't do this, I wouldn't act this way. You understand what I'm saying? I was a good Christian before they showed up. Yeah, exactly. Was, <laughs> that's such a good point, brother. One of our friends said, he said, if you think you are a good person, get married. <laughs> and then you find out, whoa, well, I, I was doing pretty good. I used to be a good Christian until, you know, I became, I got married, right? And then you learn, man, all of my, you know, all those childhood things I thought I had overcome came back, right? And, and you, you thought, man, I didn't even know I had those emotions anymore. But that can happen. And the reality is God wants to help us overcome that. And if you don't even have a desire to overcome those things because you think you're in the right you can pray to God that he will even give you a desire to overcome if you don't have it. Number two, uh, also to overcome, you have to have an open mind. Now, you don't want an, a mind so open that you're, you probably heard, you don't want a mind so open that your brain falls out. We're not talking about that. But a mind that is open to new things from God's word, inspiration, and good legitimate science. Not quackery and all these things that come out 
even some of the modern popular science is nothing but quackery, and we'll talk about that. Uh, well, oh, go back. Go What's back. That? You went forward a few slides. Oh, okay, sorry. Let's see. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, um, but tell them why open mind. Oh, okay. Uh, it, oh, we had a man come to the seminar in the state of Arkansas. Doesn't need to say where he's from, but that's where he's from. And he, he was coming, and, and he said, I'm different than most people, than normal people. He said, I don't need to drink any water whatsoever. I get all of the fluid that I need from the food that I eat. And it is true that you can exist and you can live by just eating food, especially if you're getting enough liquid in the food. You can actually live that way, but you cannot thrive that way, right? Mm -hmm. And he said, but then he went on to tell me that he had a serious problem with heartburn, with GERD. Did you know one of the causes of heartburn? Dehydration. Isn't that interesting? The one thing he thought he was different in and didn't need could have actually changed his life potentially. Something as small as drinking water. We think, come on, it's got to be science. No, I need drugs, man. Drugs are what just, you know, fix my problem. You know, but the thing is, could it be sometimes that some simple thing, if we had an open mind and we try it, could actually change our lives? Does that make sense? So, so maybe try something. You may sit think, that's too small. That cannot be the issue. Maybe some small issue could actually have large effects on your mind and on your physical health and your spiritual life for that matter. And so my wife's going to come up and she's going to tell us a little bit more. Okay, so we have a disclaimer, as you can see here, and our disclaimer is simple. We're not your doctors, and the reason we make that um, disclaimer is because people, we're, we're covering some health topics, and normally this, this seminar goes about five or six days in a row. Well, we're just doing it in two days, two days not even two days, a day and a half. So you can take notes and try this at home kind of thing. But if you're under the care of your doctor, remain there or talk to your doctor to, about some of these things. You know, like, what do you think about this? And so on and so forth. So um, that's our disclaimer. But let's go back to the concept that um, Chad shared with the frontal lobe and see what the Bible has to say about the frontal lobe. It says in Revelation 14, verse 1, And lo, I looked, and, wait, and I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 having his father's name written where? In their foreheads. So there's something written in the forehead. And what did we just discover was in the forehead? The frontal lobe in particular is in the forehead, right? But what does God want to put there? What does that say? His name, right? God wants to put his name in our frontal lobes. And what were our frontal lobes we just learned? What does the frontal lobe do? It's a seat of spirituality, morality. morality, and the will. And God wants those things to be controlled by his name. Well, what's his name? What's name in the Bible? Character. Character. Can you give me examples of that? Like how we know that? Like were there, were there people in the Bible who had a name change when their character changed? Right? Abram became Abraham, Sarai became Sarah in the New Testament, Saul became Paul. Can we think of the opposite as well? Lucifer, who was supposed to be the light bearer, right, the shining one for God, 
became Satan, the adversary, right? So you can see the, the same there. Um, you mentioned Jacob. So Jacob became Israel, right, when, when, he, when he overcame. I, my, um, my mother tongue is Aramaic, and I'm what you call an Assyrian. Not Syria, not like the country Syria, but from northern Iraq, where if you open up your Bible and it talks about Assyria and it talks about Nineveh, that's where we come from. And um, we're a small cultural group, all Christian, and these are the people that, that are being persecuted right now in northern Iraq. Well, um, we speak Aramaic and it's the language that Jesus spoke when he was on earth. And the, the interesting thing is that as Assyrians, um, we still find Jonah to be a very good man. <laughs> you know, when you read it in the Bible, people think like, man, he was terrible to those people, but we don't see it that way. Uh, to this day, Jonah is a very popular name within our culture. Uh, many people name their kid Jonah. The last name is Jonah of many families. And so we understand what he did for us. Because if you know the Assyrian history, you know that they are no different than what ISIS is doing today, right? So imagine God calling you right now to go to ISIS. Would you do it? Or would you jump on a boat and, you know, let a whale eat you instead? So you understand the, the struggle he was having, right? But we thank God that, that Jonah, even though he was disgruntled about it, um, still obeyed God and came out. And to this day, the Assyrians are still Christians. I mean, he wasn't a Christian. He, he brought the truth of the Bible. But when Christianity came in that area, they took it. And they ran with it. They were very much, um, they, were, they were missionaries. Anyway, that's just a side thing. But uh, just want to let you know that, that if it weren't for Jonah, I wouldn't be standing before you today. It's that, it's that real. Um, so about the Aramaic language, Jacob is very similar to the word for heel in our language. Okay, and so when he was born, what was he doing to his brother's heel? He's grabbing it, right? And so in our culture, a lot of times, something at birth or some characteristic you want in that child, you'll name them accordingly. My mom was born with a big um, birthmark, and so her name, it, it's a queen's name, but it's very similar to a birthmark, and so they called her that. <laughs> but it was a pagan queen, and so my mom's like, I didn't want to be named after a pagan queen, you know? <laughs> so we have pagan names. I have uncle named Nimrod, right? Um, but we also have Christian names. My family name was Benjamin and Daniel and Abraham. And so very, very uh, interesting culture. Anyway, a, uh, Jacob, he, you know, heel grabber, right? He would trip you up. That was a part of his character. He'd grab your heel, he'd trip you up. And wasn't he that? He was a deceiver. He deceived his brother, his father. He ran, he ran off for his life. And, but God didn't let go of him, did he? God didn't give up on him and, and chased him. And as Jacob wrestled with the Lord, he overcame and his name was changed to Israel. And Israel is, means um, pretty much one who wrestles with God and overcomes, or it means overcomer, right? And so we're all to have our Israel moment, right? Our Jacob to Israel moments. That's what God wants us to do. So you can see that in the Bible, character and name are very similar. I took a long time to explain that. But anyway, um, that I don't normally add all that stuff in there, but 
just a little FYI for you to get to know a little more about the Assyrian culture. Anyway, <laughs> um, so name. So name means character. And there's one person in particular that lived out his life to the fullest character of God. And who would that be? Jesus. That's right. Jesus. He lived out the full character of God in this life, right? When we look at the life of, of Jesus, we could see the law fully lived out, right? In love to God and in love to man. You see it played out. And so God wants to put that character, right? He wants to put his name in our forehead. So then as I walk on this earth and talk and speak with people and share things and, and you know, minister to people, he wants to put that character that Jesus had into my heart and into my mind. That as, I, as Jesus, how did he treat the Pharisees, right? How did he treat those who were against him? How did he treat the down and outers, the prostitute and the drunkards? You see what I'm saying? And so God wants to put that same character in our minds so that we make these decisions that he would make. Isn't that powerful? And so that's, that's like the big issue in Revelation, right? And so how important then is this frontal lobe to us in this battle of, of the end, right? How important is this frontal lobe and that we learn the best things for it? So with that said, in any battle, we need to know the enemy's tactics. And here are a few frontal lobe killers. Of course, drugs, lack of use. Did you realize that if you don't use it, you lose it, right? And so it's, it's good to practice deciding things. It's good to practice deciding things. A lot of times we don't decide on something because we're afraid of what? What are we afraid of? Why don't we decide to do things? Criticism. Criticism. Can you girls think of anything? Why we don't, what, what, what keeps you from making a decision sometimes? Decision fatigue. Decision fatigue? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can you guys think of something? Disappointing someone else. That's right. That is right. What about making a mistake? Aren't we afraid of making mistakes, right? But you know, if you don't learn to use the, your decision-making skills, then you don't, you don't develop them. And so a lot of times we're afraid of making mistakes, but you can learn from your mistakes, right? Like God doesn't give up on us just because we make a mistake, right? Instead, he encourages us, okay, look, like you, you, you could have done this a little better or different, right? He teaches us as we, as any parent would teach a child. You don't just like a kid makes a mistake and ah, forget it, don't even try, just, you know, give it up. No, they're just like, oh, okay, how about you do it like this and teaching. And so it's better to make a decision than not to make one at all, right? Certain kind, but I mean, I'm not saying flippantly making decisions without, you know, concrete evidence. Okay, this is what I'm going to do, you, you understand, in prayer. So certain kinds of music are frontal lobe killers, head injuries. So we need to protect our frontal lobe physically if we're going to do something, uh, biking, whatever it is. Make sure you actually physically protect the frontal lobe because it's so sad. Because we do this, we meet people who have had frontal lobe damage, and it's not fun. Um, and then lack of nutrition. And we'll talk about that a little more this afternoon, about the lack of nutrition. 
So like I said, normally we do this over a five or six day thing. And um, you'll see why I'm saying that in just a moment. We have actually in the program something that you interact with. And I have a question. What goes on in the liver? Cleansing? Detox. Detox. Yeah. That's right, detox. So in the liver, that's what goes on. But also the liver um, stores glucose. And when it's stored in, in the liver, it's called glycogen. And so then that glycogen becomes a storehouse for when you need it in an emergency, you know, the fight or flight situation where you have to do something quickly or have muscle, you know, like you need your muscular power to, to lift something, that kicks in to give you that extra energy. But do you know that actually even when you fast, that that kicks in, right? That's what's feeding you. That's where you're getting the glucose when you're in a fasting mode. So God's given us this fast time, right, to, to replenish us and, um, or I should say detox, because as that glucose comes out, so do the impurities, right? And so it's that time to detox our livers. Our liver will get cleansed out during these cleanses. And so what we normally do in these um, presentations is we, we have people uh, do a modified fast or a cleanse. Can you see this? A modified fast or cleanse. And so those people who are heavy alcoholics, drug addicts, or diabetics, we usually have them for the first day do water, fruit, veggies, whole grains, and no oil. Okay? So that's what we have them do. Now someone might say, well, that's not a fast. Well, we call it modified because some people aren't used to doing any kind of fasting. And so this is a good way of doing it. But also, uh, if, you are, if you do fall under that first category, you need to make sure that you still have a lot of um, calories coming in because you don't want to go into serious withdrawal symptoms. Anyway, and then everyone else, we have for the first day, you do fruit and water. Okay? So you do fruit and water the first day. And um, this really helps cleanse you out. And what you do is for that fruit and water, um, you're, you're doing mostly whole. And um, don't do juicing because then that'll really spike your blood sugars. So just do the whole fruit. Okay. Any questions on that? Okay. All right. Well, some, um, sometimes we get a little discouraged and we need an uh, encouraging promise from the Word of God to keep us going. And here's one right here. Um, do you want to come and see what's going on? Sure. Is it not working? No. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. I, um, I don't know if the battery's just dying. Oh, okay. Sorry, I'll, I'll see if I got another battery. Okay. Um, sorry, just a moment. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, it says, What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So we're bought with a price, and God wants us to glorify Him through these bodies, right? That we can actually um, bring glory to His name to his identity through us. 
through the way people see us living our lives. Isn't it true, though, um, when, you, when you live this lifestyle, that people are naturally drawn to asking questions. Why do you do this and why do you do that and how do you do this and how do you do that? And they're just curious and it's an opening op open opportunity for you to share your faith. Uh, like Chad said, we're going to have some simple things that we're going to share with you. And here's something that with your fast that's very important that you do is um, that as you're detoxing that you need to flush these things out. Well, I have a question for you. There's a super drink and it can increase energy and endurance, prevent kidney stones and digestion and aid in digestion and elimination, regulate the body's temperature and bring about a feeling of well-being, yet very few of us consume as much as we should. And what is this super drink, folks? Water. You got it. Water. God's beverage. You can't improve on God's beverage. No matter how much science tries to come up with these little drinks with this and that and the other, there's no way you can improve on this particular beverage for this body, right? This body thrives on it. We're, we're mostly um, made up of water. So there is um, Mount Everest. The, one of the ways that they were able to get to the top was by water consumption because prior to that they didn't they were conserving their water to get to the top and so then afterwards they realized maybe we should increase and the more they increased their water intake the more they had the ability to get to the top now that's not the only reason they were able to get to the top they also learned elevation things you know like um, you hike up farther that day but then you come down and camp further down than where you hiked. And that was able to help you with the elevation issues. So that was another thing. But there's a Dr. Pitts in Ohio who heard about this, that they're drinking more water, and, and so that meant more endurance to get to the top of Mount Everest. And he said, is this really true? I wanna, I wanna look into this, if this is true. So he did a test and he had people walk on a treadmill, just walking, and the first group and this is, this is a zone of exhaustion, and that's um, where their temperature would hit a certain um, level, and then they're, they're exhausted, so they couldn't do it anymore. So this was um, the way it looked. The first group was not given any water, and they were made to walk on the treadmill. And so you see here, they went about two hours, and then they hit the zone of exhaustion where they're overheating, and they're like, I'm done. Okay. So they were not given any water for that first group. The second group was given water as they needed it. And how do we usually know if we need water or not? Oh, my throat feels dry, I feel thirsty, and I drink water. So that's how they based the second group, and that's how long they were able to go. They were about another five hours, or not another five, but up to five hours. They were able to um, keep walking on the treadmill, but that was water as desired. Well, the third group, they decided to, to measure everything that went out, whether they were sweating or um, uh, aspiration. Isn't that what it's called? Respiration. Respiration. But when you, when you yeah, respiration, where, where you measure the amount of water coming out of your respiration. Thank you. Aspirating is when you have something like liquid in your lungs. Yeah, sorry. I wasn't thinking. Um, so they were measuring everything and then putting in 
water as they're losing it, right? So just replenishing. And this is what happened with them. They uh, continued to walk and walk and walk and walk and walk. And he found, okay, I, it's true. And they just kept walking and he just stopped it. And he's just like, it's true. Water consumption does equal endurance. And isn't it true, a lot of times if you go out for a hike and you start getting tired, it's usually because you're dehydrated. And maybe you should drink more water and then you'll just start seeing. And your, your, um, your joints start to feel better. You know, if you go out hiking and, or just walking and you're like, oh, it hurts, it's better to drink your water. But look at here in terms of the brain. It says a person would have to lose 10% of her body weight in fluids to be considered dehydrated. But as little as 2% can affect athletic performance, cause tiredness, and dull critical thinking abilities. Dull critical thinking abilities. So where do those critical thinking abilities happen? In the frontal lobe. And so if we're dehydrated, that's one of the first places we're going to feel it. Right? Because it's even 2% dehydrated. This is one of the first places. You're feeling anxious? Drink some water. And I know it seems like, come on, is it that easy? But it's true. This is just how these bodies run best. And so if we're, if we're to feel better, not have anxious thoughts and, and um, dull critical thinking abilities, then drinking water is the best thing. And so whenever we talk about this, we start to see people drinking their water. Isn't that interesting? The power of suggestion. And then you've heard this, your body's about 60% or more water, but your brain is about 73 or more percent water. And so compared to the rest of the body, this is where you're going to feel it first. You know, that sense of tiredness. What are some other benefits? It lowers blood pressure, it elevates your mood, helps detoxify the liver, maintain or lose weight, maintains body temperature. Uh, if you're feeling hot during the summer, make sure you have that water with you because that's your internal air conditioner. And then it helps you get clearer thoughts. Then the question comes, well, how much water should I drink? Now, what we're about to tell you is, is a formula, right? Because um, if big old Joe compared to me, we're all told to drink, what is it? What's the, everyone? Eight, eight ounce glasses, right? So he's supposed to drink the same amount I drink. Does that make sense? It doesn't, does it? So wouldn't it be better to have a formula for this body and a formula for that body, right? And so that you apply it. But even with that said, I want to say this. Whatever we share here, if you take it in steps, right? So let's say you are not drinking enough water. And then you, you see this formula we're about to share with you. And then you um, say, okay, tomorrow I'm going to start drinking all that water. Do you think you'll stick to it? Most likely you won't because maybe you're going to end up in the bathroom most of the day and think like, oh, this is stupid, I'm not doing it. But wouldn't it be better to work your way up to it and say, I have a goal to get to and I'm going to do that and maybe this formula is too much for me and I need to find where I see benefits for my body. Or maybe this formula isn't enough for me because I'm very athletic. Do you see what I'm saying? And so you need to find that, that happy medium for you and your body and start to learn from cause to effect. But um, just, just be easy with yourself. Don't do everything all in one, 
one day. That's my whole point. So here's the, here's the um, for the Canadian, it's 33 millimeters per kilogram. <laughs> for the rest of us, it's half your body weight in ounces. Okay, so half your body weight in ounces. So if you weigh 200 pounds, how many ounces of water would that be then? 100 ounces of water. So some people are thinking, whoa, that's a lot of water. Um, but like I said, work your way up to it and see. Because you may be someone who's sensitive where if you flood your system with water and then you dilute your electrolytes, then you get weak because your electrolytes are what gets your muscles going and your contractions and all that. And so you don't want to do that, you know, diluting your salts and your electrolytes. So you see what I'm saying? It's like learn to be balanced in these things. Work your way up and see where the best um, level is for you. All right. Now, Chad talked a little bit about uh, temptations and, and cravings and things like that when you're overcoming stuff. And so we have a few pointers, at least four of them, that we encourage you to do when that craving or temptation comes at you. Okay? So here's the first one. Of course, drink water. Drink, drink, drink your water. Second is walk uh, or exercise. So we were made to be active right? When God made Adam, what did he have him do? Dress the garden. Right away, he put him on an activity regimen, right? He, he didn't have him sitting around and, of course, you could sit around and look at the sunset, but you understand that wasn't everything. Heaven is not only about sitting around and doing nothing. It's about being active. And God wanted us in this earth to be active. But you notice in life today, we're very sedentary. And from cars to computers to television to whatever, we're very sedentary. You think about the time of, of Jesus, they, it was no big deal to walk 14 or so miles a day. It was no big deal. That's just, it was a part of life to do that. You know, that you just walk miles and miles to get from this place to that place. And not just the times of Jesus in some countries today, right? If you go over to some other countries, you'll see people still walk quite a bit. And even in Western countries, uh, we've been in Europe and we see they walk places. They don't take the car just from, you know, to the store or whatever. And we'll see grandparents on bicycles with a grandchild on the back. That just sounds scary, doesn't it? Here, like, do our grandparents here have enough balance to keep themselves up, let alone a kid in the back? You know, and we literally, when we saw it, we just were, what's that? I said, we hope so. Yeah, we hope so, right? But, I mean, these were like old, old grandparents. They weren't just like 60-year-olds, right? And so, so we literally, we like, we're like this. We're like watching them go by, and I'm like, wow, I've never seen this in America, you know? And so you realize our culture has really um, causes to be sedentary. That means just sitting around a lot. So God called us to move. And because we're so sedentary, we don't feel that invigorating feeling that we get when our blood is pumping. God made us to be naturally stimulated, and that was through exercise. When we exercise, we get naturally stimulated, and it feels good, and we like it. 
But guess what? If you're not moving, you still want to feel alive and have that feeling of like um, stimulation. And so what do we do? We artificially stimulate ourselves through the foods we eat, right? Spicy foods and high fat foods and all these things that make us feel alive or, or the drinks we drink or the substances that we put in our bodies, it gives us this artificial stimulation, not the real stimulation that God gave us through our muscles and our heart, right? So just encouraging us to get up and walk. And Chad's got two more things he's going to share um, on what to do with cravings. Another one is learning to breathe accurately. And uh, you want to learn to breathe from your diaphragm. And doing that, breathing the way a baby is naturally breathing, actually helps us to uh, fill our body with the oxygen we need. And we're even told back in the Spirit of Prophecy that one of the reasons sometimes people find themselves depressed and they don't even know why. Now, this isn't the cause of all depression, mind you, but it's just one of the... Sometimes you're going through a day and all of a sudden you just start feeling depressed and you think, man, I don't even know what happened. What went wrong? I I don't even think anything went bad. Now I just feel terrible. And she says one of the reasons that can happen sometimes is we're not breathing accurately and so we're not getting enough, you know, oxygen to our brain and bodily organs and all of a sudden you start feeling terrible. And so just getting, you know, she talks about after a meal going out, you know, throw your chest back and take deep breaths and these kind of things and just feeling, you start feeling better. You start feeling alive again. And so the next one, most important out of these four, are Bible promises and prayer. Learning to claim Bible promises and pray about them. Don't just claim them, but pray about them. Talk to your father about them. And as we do, he gives us the victory. We'll talk now, more about something that. to think about real quick is, does anyone have anything to give up now? You don't have to raise your hand. This is just something to think about. If there's something you need to get rid of, it's good to actually just get rid of it. You know, we've had people come to the seminars, you know, with cigarettes or, you know, people come and they have meth pipes or whatever and throwing these things away or getting rid of things that we want to get rid of. But for you, it may not be a meth pipe. probably isn't. But it could be just something that you know we need to let go of. You know, you don't have to tell us what it is. We're not going to ask you to divulge all your secret sins, you know. Secret sins are confessed secretly to God. Public sins are to be confessed publicly. Um, we always say in the seminar, never use the word failure. That we, we if you, even if you stumble, a just man falls seven times and rises up again. Proverbs 24, verse 16 says. But the wicked shall fall into mischief. So every time the righteous falls, what does he do? Get back up. He gets back up. It's the devil who wants to keep you back down and to not get back up and find the victory. You may have heard that Thomas Edison said, I know 999 ways not to make a light bulb. (laughs) So you can say, man, Thomas Edison was just a massive failure. Was he a massive failure? No. And so you may stumble in your effort toward victory, but if you keep getting up, you can learn from the mistakes of the past. Amen? God can give us the victory. We already said Proverbs 24, 16. Uh, Philippians 4, 13 says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And God wants to give us this victory. He wants to make us completely victorious. Uh, Quick quote. I'll give you two challenges and we'll close this one. This is from a powerful book I read some time ago. When I say it's powerful, it's a secular book. And all secular books, you know, there's, you know... The old saying, chew the meat and spit out the bones, or whatever you want to say. Uh, but in this book, it talked about exercise. Spark the new science of, the revolutionary new science of exercise in the brain. Uh, exercise improves learning on three different levels. First, it optimizes your mindset to improve alertness, attention, mood, and motivation. Second, it prepares and encourages nerve cells to bind to one another, 
which is the cellular basis for logging new information. And third is first the development of new nerve cells from stem cells in the hippocampus. You say, what on earth does all that mean? What it means is that exercise actually causes new neurons, new brain cells to grow. So we used to think that when you were born, you had all the brain cells and you did just slowly die off. But now we know that through exercise, we can actually, we can add more neurons to what's called the hippocampus, which is part of the memory portion of our brain. So you can actually get more neurons through exercise. So exercise is so, so important. So we have two challenges. Normally this would be our first day, but if we're gonna go through four messages, we're gonna go through four messages, four days of messages today. Um, and we're, two challenges I would make the first day are to number one, try to get some exercise today. Even if that's between, you could probably walk around the building. Just a little we'll bit of exercise that. is better than no exercise at all. So get some exercise and to drink your Water, right? Increase your water drinking. That doesn't mean overdo it today and, you know, hate doing it, but increase it. Do you, you have something to say, Caleb? Jeez. All right. Well, I'm, we're glad you're here, brother. Well, let's close with a prayer, <laughs> and we're going to get started in, I think, just um, probably about 10 minutes. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you call us to be victorious. You even give us physical principles that help make the spiritual battle, the spiritual journey, easier. Lord, we want to be overcomers, and we're not, we're not trying to be overcomers to, to deserve eternal life. But we want to unite to you and unite with your word so that we can be connected to you most importantly. We know that this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And so, Father, we recognize eternal life is about knowing you. But as we get to know you, we realize that you can make us overcomers in the physical areas. And some of those will help us to be overcomers in the spiritual realm also. We thank you for your love. In the name of Jesus. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.